Hey, everybody. Welcome back to my podcast, Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit. This is your host, Dr. Steve Sullivan, professor of anatomy and physiology from Bucks County Community College, just outside of Philadelphia. I know it's been a while since the last time I have posted an episode. Um, Like most of you know, it's been a pretty trying time for the last few months. Uh, Summer and, and remote schooling and uh, teaching my online classes and also working on uh, an online anatomy and physiology project for a textbook publisher uh, has been taking up a tremendous amount of time. So uh, so I apologize for how long. I know I've, a lot of you have been waiting for the next episode, and I appreciate your patience. I really, really do. I've been getting a lot of emails from students and listeners who are asking for more episodes and some really, really nice ones. A lot of people, people in South Florida and and um, and other places around the world uh, who are telling me that the podcast is really helping them with their classes. So uh, I appreciate that feedback. I really do. And um, hopefully this episode helps because we are into the nervous system. So when we talk about the nervous system, we're talking about a system of communication that exists in our body. So our tissues need to communicate with each other. Uh, We need to let muscles know when to contract, and we need to let glands know when to secrete. We need to let your brain know what's happening around your body, outside your body. So we're talking about sensation, and we're talking about motor activity. We're talking about All kinds of interesting stuff, not to mention the things that you don't even know about, the things you don't even perceive, regulating your blood pressure and your heart rate and your respiratory rate, Um, all of those things, monitoring the chemical balances inside the fluids in your body, all of those things are monitored by your nervous system. And we always always like to equate the nervous system to electrical um, wiring in our homes and things like that, but... It's not quite that way. It is, it is definitely electrically excitable tissue, uh, nerve tissue is, which is good because we do have the flow of ions across the plasma membrane of a neuron, and that flow of, of charged particles does um, result in an electrical current, and we do use voltage as a stimulus. Um, uh, in our across our membrane. So if you remember um, electrical potential and if you remember uh, what resting membrane potential is, we'll review a little bit of that in this episode. But um, but it's important to uh, to keep in mind that it's not like plugging a toaster in. It's not really how our nervous system works. Most of our nerve tissue communicates with other tissues by way of chemical messengers. And we call those chemical messengers neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters are chemicals like acetylcholine and norepinephrine, uh, epinephrine, dopamine, serotonin. Uh, These are examples of chemicals that are released by one neuron and received by another neuron or a target cell, like a muscle cell, for example, or a gland. And those chemical messengers, they transmit the nerve signal. So we give it the name neurotransmitter. 
And um, I think that's an important aspect to think about because when you talk about the clinical application of anatomy and physiology, we talk a lot about pharmacology. And a lot of our pharmacology or pharmaceuticals, drugs, medications, a lot of them are about modifying the effects of neurotransmitters, either making them more active, either making them more active or um, decreasing their action, you know. So we can do that in a few different ways and we can get into that in an episode that we, that will cover the, um, the chemical synapse and how that all happens. But, but for the most part, we're talking about the nervous system and our system of, of sensation, which tells us about what's going on with our bodies in the environment, whether it's cold out or warm out or whether we're touching something or not or things like that. Those are all sensations that our brain needs to be aware of. Many of our sensations are perceived, which means that we actually know about them. We have conscious awareness of these sensations. So if you touch something cold, you you know it's cold. You perceive that coldness. Um, that's the difference between sensation and perception is sensation happens locally at a sensory receptor in the periphery of your body, but perception takes place in your brain, in the neocortex of your brain, so that you have conscious awareness of that sensation. And then your brain can make a decision on how to react to that sensation. So if that sensation is um, something that you decide is going to be potentially harmful, you might need to take an action to distance yourself from that stimulus. And, um, and that's, an, that's an important aspect as well. Some sensations we're not even aware of. Like if your blood pressure starts to get a little bit high and your brain takes action to decrease your blood pressure a little bit, that's something that's beyond our conscious, I'm sorry, below our conscious awareness. And we don't really perceive that because making a conscious decision about lowering your own blood pressure would make it really hard for us to survive. That's something that we need to happen um, in a subconscious level right? So we would call that a, a visceral reflex or an autonomic reflex, which would be something automatic that takes place involuntary, that's, that's not requiring our conscious decision making. So there's just some general ideas of what the nervous system really is. The nervous system has um, specific functions uh, that really I've just kind of mentioned and uh, one of them would be maintaining homeostasis, which is, like I just said, like regulating your controlled conditions like blood pressure and fluid volume and um, heart rate and respiratory rate and pH levels and um, carbon dioxide levels, oxygen levels, blood sugar. All of those things requires action from your nervous system, whether it's the monitoring system or whether it is the action system, um, to make sure that those controlled conditions are maintained within ranges that sustain optimal health, which is basically homeostasis. Um, and then also, like I said, our sensations and perceptions 
are controlled by our nervous system. But but not only that, but your reactions to sensations and perceptions, which would be behaviors, right? Your behavior in a particular situation is controlled by your nervous system, your brain. It also stores memories. So think of all the experiences that you that you um, are subject to every single minute of every single day. And some of those are stored as memories so that you can remember them and you can um, use them to learn for next time. Maybe you will react differently to a particular sensation or perception next time because of the memory you've stored from the last time you've experienced that. And then think about all of your voluntary movements. Every time you decide to get up from your chair or to play a sport or to reach for something, uh, all of that is voluntary movement. And those voluntary movements are regulated and initiated by your central nervous system, your brain. And so voluntary movement is, is controlled by that as well. And then involuntary movement too. So you have involuntary movements of muscles in your digestive system so that you can squeeze the food you've digested, or I'm sorry, the food you've consumed. Uh, you have to squeeze it through your digestive tract, and that requires the action of involuntary smooth muscles, and your nervous system regulates that as well. It's not just voluntary motor activity. It's also involuntary motor activity. So... Your nervous system, which really I try to think of in um, in five different parts, right? So five different parts. Usually in an A&P class, we've got five chapters covering the nervous system. And they usually start out with nerve tissue. So we go over the excitability of, of nerve cells and how they do what they do. Um, we could talk about the spinal cord. We could talk about reflexes. We could talk about the brain, the autonomic nervous system, your fight or flight situations, um, and sensation, um, how we respond to changes in our environment, whether it's our internal environment of our bodies or the external environment that we're living in. All of those things are really important aspects of the nervous system. And so typically you'll see a two-semester A&P textbook will break it down into those five chapters uh, and all fairly long chapters at that. I usually spend about two full months on the nervous system in my two semesters of A&P courses. It's a lot of stuff and it's really important because of how much control it has over your body. So think about the nervous system um, as an anatomical unit, right? So it's got anatomy, it's got the structure, and it's got the physiology, it's got the function. So let's discuss the structure first just to really get ourselves um, oriented. The nervous system is divided up into two main parts, the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. The central nervous system is mainly the brain and spinal cord. I mean, that's it. It's the brain and it's the spinal cord. And its main job is to uh, generate thoughts, um, to control your emotions, to store your memories. 
It's the origin of the nerve signals that stimulate your muscles to contract and your glands to secrete enzymes or hormones or whatever they're secreting. Um, it, is the, it is the integrating center of your nervous system. It's the part that will receive information from the periphery of your body, whether that information is about um, the outside world's stimuli on you or changes inside your body that your nervous system needs to be made aware of. Those sensations, those signals, that information goes into your spinal cord and or brain. And that central nervous system is going to receive those data and make decisions based on those data. That's why we call it sometimes the integrating center or the control center because it takes the data and analyzes them and makes a decision based on those data. So you know what would be the most appropriate response right now from my muscles, from my glands, or what emotional reaction would be appropriate from what I'm experiencing right now. Uh, that's what your central nervous system is doing. It's really trying to control, be the control center. And then all the nerves outside of your central nervous system are called the peripheral nervous system. So think about your body. Think about the human body and the way it's organized where the brain and the spinal cord are kind of in the center axis of your body. Right down the midline of your body is your cranial cavity and your vertebral canal. And those two spaces are where we'll find the central nervous system. The brain is in the cranial cavity and the spinal cord is in the vertebral canal. So now what we have is this central nervous system. So think about it that way. It's in the center. The peripheral nervous system is in the periphery. Think of your peripheral vision. It's what you see on the outsides. So the periphery is the outside of your body. It's out to the sides. So all of the nerves that go to your muscles and your skin and your glands and your bones and your connective tissues, all the nerves that go to there and come from there, those are peripheral nerves, the peripheral nervous system. It's all the nervous tissue outside the brain and spinal cord. So those peripheral nervous system, that peripheral nervous system, we talk about nerves that are going to provide a nerve supply to tissues. And that nerve supply might be carrying nerve signals from those tissues, like your skin, for example, to your central nervous system. And that's how you would know if, if you're touching something and you could tell what it feels like. We call those sensory nerves. Or they're nerves going to tissues like muscles and glands from your central nervous system. We call those motor nerves or motor neurons. Sensory neurons are the nerve cells that carry signals from the periphery to the central nervous system. Motor neurons are the nerve cells that carry signals from the central nervous system to the periphery of your body. 
muscles and glands. Neurons are nerve cells. Uh, you probably remember that from the histology uh, podcasts that I that I did. So that peripheral nervous system is an important aspect of the nervous system because it allows for a, a, a pathway, a rail system, for signals, nerve signals, which are electrical signals, to travel from the body to the nervous system, to the central nervous system, and from the central nervous system to the rest of the body. And the word that we use to, to, um, to describe the nerve supply being given to a tissue is called innervation. So when we say innervated, we mean gives a nerve supply to. So we have, for example, the femoral nerve innervates the quadriceps femoris muscles in your thigh, right? Innervate means it supplies a nerve supply to. So the motor neurons that will stimulate your quadriceps femoris muscles to contract is the femoral nerve. And so that's what innervation means. We have sensory nerves innervating our skin. We have motor nerves innervating our muscles. So the peripheral nervous system is divided up into three components, three different nervous systems of their own. The first one I want to talk about is the somatic nervous system. When we talk about the word somatic, we're typically referring to the muscles, bones, and skin, connective tissues of the body. Uh, it means we're not really talking about nerve tissue. We're not talking about sex cells. Um, like sperm cells and egg cells. We're talking about the soma, which means body. Also, it's based on uh, what embryonically develops as somites, which um, develop into all of those tissues. So the somatic nervous system brings sensory information from sensory receptors in the head, body wall, and limbs all over your body, to the central nervous system, this is basically like sensory receptors from your skin and things like that. And it sends motor signals from the central nervous system to your voluntary muscles. So the origin of your voluntary movements comes from the central nervous system, but utilizes the somatic nervous system to carry out their actions. The next one is the autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system is also known as the visceral nervous system because this is about um, getting sensory information from your organs and delivering involuntary motor commands from the central nervous system to the smooth muscle, the involuntary muscles of your organs, and glands. So this is like... Um, your fight or flight response, right? So you turn the corner when you're walking home and somebody jumps out at you and scares you and that sensory information comes in from your eyes and your ears, goes to your, to your brainstem, which regulates your autonomic nervous system and that sends blood and, and adrenaline to your muscles and your lungs 
and your heart and your sweat glands and you start sweating and you start breathing heavy and your heart starts racing and you're ready to run or fight for your life. That is the autonomic nervous system. Um, that's an important one as well, but it's separate. It's involuntary. And then your digestive system has its own little branch called the enteric nervous system. So this is all about chemical changes in your gastrointestinal tract, the stretching of the walls in your gastrointestinal tract. So basically you've eaten and now it's time to digest what you've eaten and absorb the nutrients from it and produce waste products as a result. And, um, and in order to do that, you need to secrete all kinds of fluids and enzymes and hormones and things like that. And your enteric nervous system uh, controls that. That's the part of the nervous system that, that does that. So, uh, so those, those are the main divisions of the nervous system. The central nervous system, the brain and spinal cord. And then the peripheral nervous system, which is divided up into the somatic, the autonomic, and the enteric. Now, one interesting thing to note in the peripheral nervous system is that almost every neuron in your peripheral nervous system communicates with the brain by going through the spinal cord. So almost all neurons from the peripheral part of your body has to go through your spinal cord and then up to your brain. So there are some exceptions to this. And we call these the cranial nerves. There are 12 pairs of nerves, pairs meaning that they're bilateral, 12 pairs of nerves that go directly from your head and neck into your brain or brainstem without having to go through your spinal cord. We call them cranial nerves. And you've probably heard of some of them. The olfactory nerve for smell, the optic nerve for vision, um, the trigeminal nerve for sensory and motor to your face. These are important nerves, and these cranial nerves are peripheral nerves. They're not central nervous system nerves. They're peripheral, but they don't have to go through your spinal cord before they get to your brain. So that's an important distinction to keep in mind. All right, so another thing I want to cover in this episode is the histology of nervous tissue. And when I meet, when I say that, I mean the cells, the cells of, of the nervous system. And um, there are a few different kinds. It is kind of difficult to just talk about this without being able to show you pictures. So bear with me on this. But um, the main cell of the nervous tissue is a neuron. This is the functional cell of the nervous system. It is responsible for sensing thinking, remembering, controlling muscle activity, regulating glandular secretions. It conducts electrical signals, which we call nerve signals. Um, and it has a nerve, it has a plasma membrane of phospholipids and proteins, just like any other human cell. And those plasma proteins, like ion channels, for example, they regulate the movement of charged particles, like sodium ions, potassium ions, calcium ions, chloride ions, for example, across that membrane. And when we can do that, when we can utilize the concentration gradients, the electrochemical gradients of those ions, we can generate electrical currents. 
going across the plasma membrane, plasma membrane. And that will, will eventually lead to what's called a nerve signal. Um, so we're going to talk about the electrical potential of uh, the plasma membrane of the nervous system. We might not be able to get to it in this episode. I don't want to go too long. But, um, but first, I want to talk about the actual nerve cells. Uh, so the nerve cells or neurons, uh, there's a lot of different kinds of them, right? So we, we, typically, we typically think of the classic neuron as, you know, you've got the body of the neuron um, and it's got a nucleus and that nucleus has a nucleolus and, and it's got organelles and all the things that you typically expect to see, except it's a stellate cell, which means it's, it's star-shaped. And usually that body will have a whole bunch of nerve fibers um, coming off of it, um, little um, extensions off the body, which we call dendrites. Uh, there's usually multiples of those. And then most of them also have what's called an axon, which is a single long extension off the body. And, and this, this is about direction of nerve signal conduction. So for the most part, Dendrites receive electrical signals and axons transmit electrical signals to their target cell or their um, or another neuron. So, so that's typical. And typically what you see when you look up a neuron, you almost always see a multipolar neuron, which would be a neuron with multiple dendrites and one axon coming off of the body. But that's not always how it's going to look. Sometimes you have bipolar neurons with just one, um, like two, two um, nerve fibers coming off. Sometimes you have unipolar, where only one extension comes off the body, and that extension splits into dendrites and an axon. Sometimes you have anaxonic, which means there are no axons. There's no axon um, on, on that particular neurons. So there's, there's a few different ways that those neurons can present themselves. Um, so um, make sure you get a good look if you're listening to this and you're curious. Um, you know, you can look them up um, and, and take a good look at a, um, at a good classic neuron. Uh, so we have dendrites, we have a body, we have an axon. That's the classic um, parts of the neuron. Uh, but the other parts are sometimes that um, sometimes that axon uh, is covered with uh, what's called if this is an if we're talking about a peripheral neuron that axon might be covered by something called a Schwann cell and that looks like almost like sausage links running the length of the axon and that Schwann cell produces what's called the myelin sheath which is a a lipid and protein covering of the axon which is produced by the Schwann cell. And it's an insulation for the axon, and it helps to make the nerve conduction velocity faster so that nerve signals travel more quickly down the axon. Uh, so you would call that a myelinated axon. Not all axons have a myelin sheath, so there are unmyelinated axons. And in the peripheral nervous system, myelin is produced by a cell called a Schwann cell. While in the central nervous system, myelin is produced by a cell called an oligodendrocyte. And those two cells, Schwann cells and oligodendrocytes, 
are examples of the supporting cells of the nervous system, which we call neuroglia. Neuroglia are supporting cells of the nervous system. They're not neurons. They do not conduct electrical signals, but they support the neurons of the nervous system. So there are some more examples of those. Um, in addition to neuro, I'm sorry, in addition to Schwann cells and oligodendrocytes, we also have astrocytes, which are found in the central nervous system. Um, they are structural support for neurons. They wrap around the capillaries, the tiny blood vessels, to help form what's called the blood-brain barrier, which is a, a really important system in our uh, central nervous system to protect very delicate nerve tissue from all of the things that could possibly be traveling through your bloodstream. Uh, some of them could be real toxic to the nervous system, and you don't want uh, to damage nerve tissue with toxins. Um, astrocytes, the interesting thing about astrocytes is um, they look like stars, which is why they're called astrocytes, and they, they uh, duplicate themselves or replicate really quickly. So um, anytime that there is uh, damage in the central nervous system, quickly replicating astrocytes could end up causing scar tissue that gets in the way of that damage uh, healing. So, so it's one of the reasons, one of the reasons, not the main reason, but one of the reasons why the central nervous system um, doesn't heal very well, has a very difficult um, um, healing process or recovery or um, regeneration process uh, from central nervous system damage. Also, because astrocytes um, divide and multiply so quickly, um, tumors of astrocytes are, can be really, really aggressive. Um, you might have heard of the term astrocytoma or glioblastoma. Um, these are neuroglial cancers. Um, Senator John McCain died from a glioblastoma. Um, the drummer from the band Rush, Neil Peart, he died from glioblastoma. These are really aggressive brain cancers, and they are typically astrocyte tumors. Uh, so... Um, so that's so that's another one, astrocytoma. I'm sorry, astrocytes. That's another neuroglia example. In the central nervous system, we also have microglia. Uh, microglia are um, basically they're the immune cells of the brain. They and the brain and spinal cord. They respond to infections in the central nervous system. They become phagocytes to remove cellular debris, and and they release immunoresponsive chemicals to help resist infections in the central nervous system. We also have ependymal cells. Ependymal cells are like epithelial cells, actually, and they, they line the spaces in the central nervous system. So remember, epithelial cells line spaces. And in your brain, you have spaces. We call them ventricles, like in the heart. Um, but you have ventricles in your brain that are lined with these ependymal cells, which are epithelial cells. And those epithelial cells secrete a fluid that fills those ventricles. And that fluid you may have actually heard of, it's called cerebrospinal fluid or CSF. And so when someone has a spinal tap performed, like if they're checking for meningitis, they put a needle in the spinal canal and they draw 
cerebrospinal fluid into that needle, and then they test it for infections. And so um, that's called CSF, or cerebrospinal fluid, produced by the neuroglia ependymal cells. Um, and those are, so those four, four examples of neuroglia are all central nervous system neuroglia. They're only central nervous system. Astrocytes, oligodendrocytes, microglia, and ependymal cells. Now, in the peripheral nervous system, we have the Schwann cells I mentioned, which produce the myelin sheath around the axons of the peripheral nervous system. And we have what's called satellite cells, which are small, flat cells that provide physical and chemical support for neurons located in the bundles of neurons called ganglia. So these are uh, the neuroglia of the nervous system. Now, the word fiber, we may have talked about this in the past, but the word fiber can be used in a lot of different ways in anatomy and physiology. So we typically talk about the word fiber. We have, we've had connective tissue fibers like collagen and, and elastic fibers, which you might remember from that episode. We have muscle fibers, which means a whole cell, a whole muscle cell, like we talked about recently in, in those episodes. And we have nerve fibers, but a nerve fiber is a process coming off the body of the neuron. So, so that word fiber can be something secreted by a cell, like it is in connective tissue. It could be the cell itself, like it is in muscle tissue, or it could be a part of the cell, like it is in nerve tissue. So we use that word fiber real loosely. It's all in context. So we know that some, the fibers in the nervous system are dendrites and axons. And we said that the axons may be surrounded by a myelin sheath. Now, the axons typically, um, at the body, they're kind of like a cone. They have this, this bottlenecking type of thing where they, they, they bottleneck down to the thin axon. And that conical area of the axon is called the axon hillock. And inside that axon hillock is a piece called the initial segment, which is typically um, where the axon stops bottlenecking and it reaches its terminal diameter, and that's where the axon itself begins. That's called the initial segment. And, and right around there is what's called the trigger zone, which is typically where the nerve signal will begin in an axon. All of those areas are right there at the beginning of the axon in that axon hillock region the initial segment, the trigger zone, they're all kind of in the same spot. Some axons have, have new axons shooting off the side, which we call those an axon collateral. So an axon might actually split into more than one axon. Um, so sometimes you see that, that's called an axon collateral. And then at the end of the axon, the axon branches out into a whole bunch of little tiny branches that can all go and innervate different cells. And we call that the terminal arborization. So arborization means branching out, like arbor means tree. So terminal means it's at the end, and arborization means it's branched. So it's the branching of an axon at the end of the axon. We call that the axon terminal or the terminal arborization. And usually the very ends of the terminal arborization uh, is called the synaptic knob or synaptic end bulb. And it usually has this little 
this little dilation that looks like a bulb coming off of the end. And that's what innervates the tissue that is um, being innervated, whether it's communicating with another neuron or whether it's uh, stimulating or innervating a nerve muscle, I'm sorry, a, a muscle cell. Um, and those, and inside those synaptic end bulbs or synaptic knobs are tiny little vesicles produced by the Golgi complex. And those vesicles are uh, filled with neurotransmitter. So I mentioned the chemicals that we use to transmit our nerve signal. And those, nerve, those chemicals are called neurotransmitters. They're actually stored in these vesicles inside the synaptic end bulb, and they're called synaptic vesicles. And what'll happen is when it's time for that neuron to transmit its nerve signal to its target cell or, its, uh, or the next neuron, it utilizes exocytosis to release that neurotransmitter. Remember, exocytosis is vesicle transport. It's using a Golgi vesicle or transport vesicle, a secretory vesicle, right? All, all those terms. Using a secretory vesicle to release its chemicals outside of the cell. Um, so, so, that's, so those are some of the parts. Again, um, uh, let me get back to that myelin sheath. Remember I said that the myelin sheath looked like sausage links? Well, in between each sausage link, you have that, um, you have that uh, little, little piece of the, of, the, of the casing that's tied up. Uh, so you have a little exposed piece of axon in between each Schwann cell in a peripheral neuron, and those are called the nodes of Ranvier. The nodes of Ranvier are the exposed pieces of axon in between Schwann cells. And then surrounding the Schwann cell is called the neurolemma. The neurolemma is like the coating of a Schwann cell that protects the myelin sheath um, from the outside. Uh, now, when we talk about myelin, myelin is a lipid and protein substance that's kind of uh, white in color or really maybe even silvery in color sometimes. And so when we talk about myelinated neurons, when you have a bunch of nerve tissue made up of myelinated neurons, we call that white matter. And there might be some unmyelinated neurons in there as well, or axons in there as well. And, um, and then what you end up having is still white matter because the myelin shows through. So, so white matter is really a combination of myelinated axons and unmyelinated axons. And then the areas of the, of the central nervous system that are unmyelinated, which would be unmyelinated axons, or dendrites and cell bodies, which are never myelinated, that is called gray matter because it has a gray appearance. You don't get that white sheen from the myelin. So, uh, so those are the main parts of the nervous system. Those are the main parts of a neuron. And those are all the different types of cells of the nervous system. So... Um, I've been going on pretty long here, and I think that we covered a lot of stuff as a good introduction to nerve tissue. Um, and in the next episode, we'll talk about um, resting membrane potential. Uh, we'll talk about how nerve signals are are initiated and how they transmit, how they're transmitted, and how and then how we can. Um, make sure that nerve signal gets moved on to its target cell. But um, we got a lot to talk about in the nervous system. 
uh, thank you for your patience. I really appreciate it. It's been, uh, like I said, it's been a busy few months. I'm working on a really, really exciting project with McGraw-Hill uh, Education right now, in turn, and we are building a very exciting uh, all-digital uh, all digital anatomy and physiology courseware with a really heavy lab component in it right now. And it's, it's live right now. You can get it. We're still, we're still adding to it, but it's called A&P Lab Suite through McGraw-Hill Education, and it is available now. So if you're taking A&P right now and you're, your instructor's not using a lot of digital materials that can really help you, um, maybe you could even mention uh, if they could pilot or see if they can get a demo version of A&P Lab Suite from McGraw-Hill because what they'll get is a lot of lab simulations, cadaver simulations, physiology labs, as well as um, a lot of access to a lot of tutor videos that I've created over the last few couple of years to help explain in an animated way the physiological processes of how the human body works. So, um, so yeah, so that's kept me really, really busy um, over the last uh, few months, and it's made it difficult to really uh, produce more and more of these episodes because this does take a decent amount of time. So, um, but I appreciate your patience, and I hope that this episode has helped you. Keep keep uh, subscribing and keep rating if you can. That would be great. Uh, the more subscribers I have, the more compelled I'll be to keep making more and more episodes. Uh, that will really help out. And um, I hope you're doing well. I hope you are safe and healthy. And uh, I hope that your AMP course is going strong and well right now. And good luck on your next exam. See you next time. Hey everyone, don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Student Help for AP. Student Help, the number four, AP. There's a lot of tutor videos on there that I think could be really helpful. I also have an Instagram account and a Twitter feed with the same name. Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit is a production of Minus 55 Media, with a special thanks to Bucks County Community College, McGraw-Hill Higher Education, and my family.